The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Hello and welcome to another episode of Setting the Record Straight. My name is Russell Trawick and I will be your host this morning. I pastor a small church, um, home church in Sweeney, Texas called Christ Covenant Church. And uh, today we have a uh, an interesting topic. Um, it's called Abuse, Authority, Apathy, and Accountability. And in this podcast today I've written a few things down. Some of this is... I've written a little bit more down now, so it helps me understand or help me get through this. But as a, but I'm somewhat winging it as I go along. The reason is that the topic is being influenced by multiple events, recent events, and applications lately. Therefore, I, I will have a multi-level approach uh, because while seemingly just so separate, and while they're they're much uh, completely interdependent on each other. So let me clarify something before else before I begin. This podcast is uh, not about taking cheap shots at any individuals. I do have distinct, different convictions and applications regarding ecclesiologies, ecclesiology from some that may hear this in this podcast, and we have had several social media discussions prior. I'm not going to drag those up, but I'm not going to address these things to undermine any of these individuals here. But I want to discuss the consequences and conclusions of many of the ideas that these individuals hold in their interpretations of ecclesiology and ecclesiastical authority. I've addressed particular issues numerous times on Reconstructionist Radio with episodes entitled, well firstly, Church Membership, Authority, and More. Another one called Confessions of an Overbearing Elder. A third one, Empowering the Saints. It really spoke more about the priesthood of the believers. Um, and the fourth one I did was uh, brothels with steeples. And that, for many, is going to be a little more over the top and, and a little more conviction-oriented. Uh, um, but listen to those podcast episodes to get a better understanding of the foundation I'm building on today. So over the last two weeks, I asked two questions in particular. How do you, you guys uh, on Facebook, how do you guys differentiate when someone is wrong regarding doctrine and when they're in sin regarding that doctrine? And then regarding the recent al- abuse allegations in California and many others that we've heard recently on the news regarding this, uh, this trainer, this medical doctor uh, trainer uh, that uh, recently that was this week, how many of I asked this question? How many of you have dealt with any situation close to this? Did you spot it? How long did it take for you to spot it? If not, did you find out only because you were told? Believe it or not, these two questions are interrelated. In fact, God by God's sovereignty and providence, I, our local gathering of the saints have has been going through a sermon series called Understanding Covenant. And the sermon we'll be discussing this very Sunday addresses these three institutions, I'm sorry, these three institutions um, God has given to his people. 
These two questions, coupled with the sermon series and a statement by uh, statement posed by a man regarding the recent abuse allegation in uh, of the family in California, where he wrote, "There was no accountability in their lives. They weren't part of a solid local church, and thus no one could see the ongoing abuse." Homeschooling without accountability of a church is a recipe for selfish introversion and abuse. Those those things are are the backbone. The 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 two questions, the coupled with the sermon series and this proposition, are the backbone of reasoning behind this podcast. Once again, before I continue, I am not denigrating a brother here, but using his pre his proposition to make a point, and to do so, I will start with the latter question before addressing my the first one. Firstly, the quote starts by saying there was no accountability in their lives. They weren't part of a solid local church, and thus no one could see the ongoing abuse. The first presupposition is that there was no accountability in their lives. I don't know this for sure. I don't know. I do know that the relatives have a different view uh, than what the media is portraying. I don't know this family personally and the accountability system they have in place. I doubt there is one by the allegations made, but I don't know for sure. And for anyone who is not close to the situation or the family and is relying on the media for information, they are assuming or presuming without actual knowledge. And so this is a false presumption and really gossip at that point. And I'm not saying that I'm okay or I agree or disagree with these things or I'm making the victim uh, the victim to be the perpetrator. I'm just saying we. it's a false presumption to say that they had no accountability. The second presupposition is that because they were not part of a solid church, nobody could see the abuse. Well, this is another great false statement. And, and it's not, I don't know why, I don't know if it's intentional or not. I don't, I won't even claim that. But being part of a solid church does not equal, does not mean no abuse or even the recognition of abuse. Either the writer has to deliberately overlook all the cases of abuse in the local church, or they are relying on a definition of the ideal local church that just may not exist yet. I shared online when I asked my questions of how many of you have dealt with this any situation close to this. Did you spot it? How long did it take to spot? And if not, did you find out only because you were told? When I asked that those questions, that I have dealt with these. I've said I dealt with these types of issues personally in my life, and in twenty plus years of ministry. Please note this: I did not receive one response that anyone else had themselves dealt with these issues. The responses that were given were rather that I share my experiences, and I will share some examples in a moment. What I found is that many times, people who make the most of social media and sharing their ideas and opinions um, really have never experienced such things themselves. Did you hear that? What I've found is that people who make the most of social media and sharing their ideas and opinions really have never experienced such things themselves. Sometimes it sounds to me like they are giving advice on, like someone giving advice on how to parent and raise children based on their experience with their pet rock collection. 
And I'm also not saying that you have to experience such abuse in order to talk about that which is wicked and that which is good and that which is unrighteous and that which is righteous. Here's the thing. Being part of a solid local church does not mean abuse will not happen or that it will be recognized. We would hope so, but it just isn't so. I know this from personal experience. First, one of my siblings was sexually abused by a step-sibling about two weeks after our parents had been married. Our parents met in church and with the church's blessing, married. I didn't know anything had happened, even though it occurred in the bunk bed directly underneath me. I did not know until my sibling told in graphic detail. Second, a family that joined our local gathering of whom I baptized some of their children is another example. There was a history of chronic abuse of a child by the father or children by the father. I could not tell, and even other family members that had been around them consistently never knew. It was not until they, we, that we were told that we knew. Both of these examples come from families that consistently went to church, participated in ministries, and shared their lives with other believers, and even were in each other's homes regularly. Yet, it went unnoticed. Being a part of a solid local church did nothing to spare these children. It took them saying something for help to arrive, and help did arrive. In these cases, the churches did not overlook the offenses, and in the second case, there was a swift and unanimous response by myself and representatives of two other churches. However, in many cases, in fact too many to count, these are swept under the rug, overlooked, or the victim is even blamed, scorned, and treated as if the abuse was their fault. Churches do this all the time. They do it with pastor and staff misconduct all the time. I've shared my experience with a pastor's pornography addiction discovery, his lack of admittance or repentance, and the church leadership kept everything hush-hush, gave him a sizable severance package, and let him use the excuse of his wife's health in order to leave. His number one addiction was teenage-themed pornography. Where did he go when he left? Did he get help? No. No, he went to a charter school working with high school teenagers. And I know the response. It's the same response every time. There are churches that aren't solid or they don't have proper accountability and so on and so forth. Yes, that can be true, but the point I am making is this. A solid biblical church cannot keep abuse from occurring and it very seldom recognizes it for various reasons. Are you interested in Christian education? Would you like to learn how to be a Christian teacher or how to run your very own Christian school with success? The GCS Apprenticeship Program can help. Learn more on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. The third false presupposition made in the writer's proposition was that homeschooling without the accountability of a church is a recipe for selfish introversion and abuse. There is a false dichotomy here, and let me make it plain to everyone listening. There is a violation of sphere sovereignty of God-ordained institutions. The education of children proclaimed throughout Scripture is given by God to the parents and not the church. Parents are to train, Proverbs 22.6, and teach, Deuteronomy 6.1-9 and Ephesians 6.4, their children. 
This duty is never given to the institution of the church, nor has the church or pastors or elders ever been given the authority to rule over the God-given institution of the family in regards to education. The parents under God only. The institution of the church has been given the responsibility to equip the saints for ministry, for service, but not to oversee the households. In fact, the statement itself is as as socialistic as the institution of the simple magistrate, the state, declaring that children belong to the state. Why not just say that any any schooling without the accountability of the church is a recipe for selfish introversion and abuse? Why just homeschooling? Maybe if church elders would start making such statements, the parents of government school children would be convicted and leave the humanistic indoctrination centers, or what I beg to believe, uh, why it is seldom very talked about, is these parents and families just might leave the church. Intentionally making this statement or not, we must rein in the meaning of accountability here. Accountability demands that there is an authority over another and the submission of one to another. Yet whether the submission is forced or voluntary, both are a violation of sphere sovereignty. Forced submission is a blatant abuse of power not endowed by God, while voluntary submission is a neglect of God's commands toward one's family and children. Either way, this is more abusive than any familial introversion as asserted could cause. In fact, once again, Abuse can happen in an introverted or withdrawn family, withdrawn family just as much as an extroverted or extremely socialized family. And to say things like this with such absolutism is tragically, immaturely, and recklessly wrong. God gave us three institutions, the family, the church, and the state. None of these institutions have authority over the others. They do not cohabitate or mix for they are distinct and separate. However, it it is the individuals under the lordship of Jesus Christ and through the leadership of of the Holy Spirit that impact through involvement in each of these spheres. So the spheres are separate, but the individuals are able to move through them and be used in them. Anything beyond this is abuse of power or neglect of responsibility. Lastly, I want to address the first question. How do you guys differentiate when someone is wrong regarding doctrine and when they're in sin regarding that doctrine? I'm sorry for jumping around. It might seem like it, but I will get to the point in a moment. When I asked this question, it was intentional. And a few people responded, giving methods or of ways that one might uh, be able to discern a truth from a lie, or just about discernment. But that was far from what I was meaning, since I was investigating their own methodology regarding discernment. I was hoping to elicit some response from other pastors, but it was to no avail. So here's why I asked that question and how it ties in with a question I've already addressed. Let me give an illustration of sorts. There was a pastor who believed that the King James Bible was the only divinely inspired translation of the Word of God. One day a family friend told him 
that she had been offered a new Bible translation by someone, and she accepted it and began to read it and bring it with her to church gatherings and Bible studies. When this pastor hears of this, he tells her, I love you, but you are in sin. You have gone against what God has intended for all generations. That Bible, that Bible translation is not only unequally inspired of God in comparison to the King James Version, but it's inferior and God cannot bless its use of you being united to it. Using that translation will destroy God's purpose for his people, the land they dwell in, and the, our churches, and so forth. In this illustration, it might be immature for someone to hold one solid translation over another. Doctrinally, someone might be wrong on secondary issues, but solid on primary issues. So, preference of one Bible translation over the of another is not sinful, nor is it necessarily doctrinally wrong. However, when the pastor uses, say it's using other translations, is sinful. This is both doctrinally wrong, and how he treats others regarding their acceptance and use of the alternative translation is sinful in itself, especially when he says that not only the translation, but those who use it are inferior do you see how we discern the difference between the two? Now, what if this pastor's belief is known outwardly by many other pastors and churches and they believe it to be absolutely wrong and that his condemnation of others using another translation as sinful is sinful in itself? But the man is invited to speak at conferences and preach in their pulpits and participate in their family functions. What is one to do when this man is doctrinally correct on 95% of the rest of his doctrine, but this one area is divisive and he shows a blatant disregard for any other belief and ignores any reprimand or exhortation? What should be done then? I mean, I understand that my local gathering has no distinct authority or oversight to any other congregation and heed of mine. So what are some possible consequences or actions that can be taken besides verbal reprimands? What if they chose to disinvite him from conferences and so on and so forth? Or what if they chose to keep overlooking this sin because the good outweighs the bad? This is my illustration and overreaction. You might be thinking, wow, that was a weak illustration. Well, many illustrations are usually are. Well, what if the subject of the illustration was changed? What if it was changed from the Bible translation to interracial marriage? What if the woman told the pastor that a black man had proposed to her and she accepted and the pastor told her that her union to him was sinful? What if he told her that she what she was doing was against what God had intended for the races for all generations? What if he told her that blacks were not equal to whites and that God is cursing our land, our church, and so forth because of interracial marriage? Is this man just off doctrinally, or is he sinful? What if he is unrepentant in this area and refuses to hear correction or exhortation? Does a church continue to invite him to speak at conferences and fill their pulpits and participate in their family functions? What is the church to do if the man is doctrinally correct on 95% of his doctrine but desperately fails here? What if they chose to keep overlooking this sin because the good outweighs the bad? Should the churches choose to disinvite him from the conferences and so forth? 
Is my illustration and overreaction now? Is it weak now? Yes, these churches might have no bearing on this pastor's own church, but they can stifle and destroy his heretical doctrine that breaks the second greatest commandment of loving your neighbor as yourself. And this is where the two examples tie in together. Churches and pastors and lay people alike overlook this sin as a personal preference or indiscretion rather than heeding 1 John 2, 9 through 11 and 1 John 3, uh, verses 11 through 15, which tell us that we can't love God and hate our brother, our fellow, fellow image bearer, bearer of God, and that by doing so disqualifies us from the eternal prize. They believe it to be better to focus on the 95% that is doctrinally sound rather than the 5% that disqualifies them or him from heaven. They would rather invite the devil to parade around their churches with a light of truth while they know in the back of their minds that he is really a lion that at any moment can devour the whole flock. They are willing to roll the dice and gamble for the sake of filling up their conference, their events, their pews, or families' events, since it is expected that these individuals will always be there. Or least likely. What is sad is that though, although they do not have authority over this pastor's congregation, they can silence and stifle, stifle this pastor by just disinviting him and warning others. Nobody has to seek to destroy this man, for his sin will do him in in itself. And what if other churches don't heed the warning? Well, they stand accountable to God. These questions tie together for a reason. The same pastors and leaders of churches that claim authority over their churches who believe church membership and accountability are necessary aspects to the local church, yes, the same ones that believe that abuse only happens outside this proper setting and that homeschoolers are being accountable to the church are the same ones we are to believe will protect us from these types of men. If they don't protect their congregation when they can what is expect is the expected response when they can't protect them? How can we be sure that they will respond properly when a child a young child is abused physically if they won't protect the future generations from a different predator that they know that they know has a dangerous arsenal of heretical doctrine with them, which is more dangerous long term? What are we to do with people we know that overlook these men and their sinful practices? Are we boldful? enough to call them to repentance? Are we bold enough to uh, lose or set aside those relationships? Are we willing to turn down ministry opportunities or business investments? Where's the line for you? How many children are you willing to sacrifice? How many more generations are you willing to lay on the altar of apathy, complacency, and stifle the gospel of the kingdom of God, of God over a heretical doctrine of racism or kinism and the sorts. We need to think hard about what we're teaching and doing. We need to submit to the lordship of, of Jesus Christ in all things. And this is a place to start. This is a this is a place to begin. When we hold false assumptions that the church will protect us and it's our comfort, it's like expecting that a security camera that's on a pole is going to protect us in a parking lot. But it's there to hopefully to dissuade criminals, people from doing criminal activities. 
but it won't protect us. No more than having a police department in town will protect citizens from theft when the police can't show up in time or no one knows what's going on. To think that the church in itself, the local gathering, is something we have to submit to just so that we won't receive abuse or that abuse will be gone. It's, it's just faulty thinking. And at the same time, to think that these same men, many times, are pastors and leaders who overlook the sin, I mean dire sin, of others. Are the ones who are supposed to protect us when the other comes. We need to really, we have to think hard about what is being taught and what is being done. We need to submit, yes, once again I say it, we need to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in all things. And this is a place to to start. Thank you for listening. God bless you and yours. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.